podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Friday, the 1st of July, brought to you by EPLindex.com and a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location and access things you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. Remember, a VPN allows you to bypass those blockers. So you, if you're a UK expat and you want to watch Wimbledon on BBC iPlayer, Liberty Shield. If you're an Irish expat and you want to watch the hurling semi-finals this weekend on RT Player, Liberty Shield. If you're a US expat and you want to watch whatever it is on Hulu, Peacock, HBO, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is your friend. And it's the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. LibertyShield.com, EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Right, folks, we were meant to do something different today. We were actually going to have a guest, but that had to be postponed. Um, he will be with us on Wednesday of next week. It is the man known as Euro Expert on social media. He's going to come on and we're going to chat through some of the new players in the Premier League that have come from abroad. So Czech de Cure will be very high on the list when we discuss his likely move to Crystal Palace, which should be confirmed by then. Players like that, Brendan Aronson to Leeds, Mark Rocha to Leeds. Uh, these are the type of players we're going to get his view on because he'll be in a good position to discuss them, having followed them over the last year. Teo Awaniyi to Nottingham Forest, a man of a little bit of mystery because he was at Liverpool, never played for Liverpool, had a great season last year. We're going to talk about what he can bring to Nottingham Forest, what Southampton's new centre-back can bring to the club, things of that nature. So that will be Wednesday of next week. So for today, we're scrambling a little bit. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at all 20 Premier League clubs and we're going to pick one player from their past, one former player who is exactly what the team needs right now. So one weakness is going to be addressed with a former player, and let's start with Arsenal. Now, there are multiple weaknesses in this team, but the biggest weakness in this team is the lack of leadership. This Arsenal team are soft. And when things go against them, they don't know how to react. Four points from losing positions last year. Four across a whole season. If this Arsenal team get punched in the mouth, they just curl up into a ball. There's no fight in this team. Now, I said for months that they should have gone after Calvin Phillips. He's now going to Manchester City. But he would have been ideal for this Arsenal team. However, they got sidetracked looking at the shiny thing at Leeds. And I love Rafinha. I think he's brilliant. But Calvin Phillips was the lead signing that they needed. And they didn't even make an attempt at it. So who do you look at? Well, you look at the best midfielder Arsenal have ever had. You look at Patrick Vieira. 
you put Vieira into this team next to Thomas Partey. And I think that's a combination that can really, really expand Arsenal's possibilities. It's not going to make them a title winner. They're not going to go from fifth to first. but They could go from fifth to third. Because there's a lot of talent in this team. Now, a lot of it is young talent. They're still going to be managed by a PE teacher. But Vieira, as a consistent driving force in that midfield, which allows Partey to sit in and just ping the ball around, not have to overextend himself, not have to risk injuries with those charging runs or covering tackles or anything like that. Because Vieira will go box to box, touchline to touchline cover all the ground and allow Partey to just shield the defence, which is where his real strength lies defensively. Patrick Vieira is the obvious choice. And this is the thing. These are going to be obvious choices for the most part. Because we're talking about improving these teams to the maximum level we can with one signing. So the one player that Arsenal would need is Patrick Vieira. The other option would be Tony Adams. But Tony Adams is a left-sided centre-back. And unfortunately, if Arsenal were to buy a centre-back, it's probably a right-sided one they'd want to start. But they do have Saliba. And I like the idea of a Saliba-Gabriel pairing. And I've said before, if they get Tommy Asu, Saliba, Gabriel and Tierney with Ben White and Lisandro Martinez as their depth, those six basically give them, basically give them eight options in defence. Because White can be a backup to Tommy Asu, and from a profile point of view, means Arsenal don't change things too much. Same thing goes for Martinez at left back. So Vieira for Arsenal. Aston Villa is a bit more difficult. They don't have. A v- We're not going to go too far back here. We're not going to go back as far as when they won the European Cup. We're going to look mostly at the Premier League era players that played in the Premier League era. Um, Villa have a couple of needs. They need a number nine. If the centre-back partnership is still going to be inclusive of Tyrone Mings, then they need a centre-back. But I'm, I'm holding out hope that Gerard is smart enough to realise that Konza is his best defender and that Carlos should partner him. They need someone to play up front with Ollie Watkins. They need someone who can be a focal point of the attack, link the play, be creative and get goals. The best striker Villa have had in the Premier League era is Dwight York. And despite not being a big physical presence, Dwight York was very, very strong. And he had a really low centre of gravity, so he could take the ball in, hold defenders off. You'd see him hunched over, his chin would nearly be resting on the football, but he'd be able to hold defenders off, spin, and he'd either go away from them with the ball or he'd find a teammate. What Dwight York did at Manchester United is what a lot of people remember. A lot of people remember that partnership with Andy Cole. But when York was at Villa, he was even better as an all-round player. And his 95-96 and 96-97 seasons were outstanding. He did score more goals for United in his first two seasons. There, He was playing with much better players. And he was playing a lot more games because they were going deep into Europe, whereas Villa, two games across those two seasons. But Dwight York was a really, really good footballer for Aston Villa. And I think he's comfortably the best striker they've had in the Premier League era. I would say Dwight York next to Ollie Watkins because York will want to operate in those central areas. Watkins can roam either side of him and York will improve Watkins. He will elevate his game as he did with a lot of other players that he played with over his time at Aston Villa. So I'm going to go Dwight York. Bournemouth. Now, not huge options here. This is not a club that has 
you know, a glorious past in the Premier League. They've got strong history of their own. I'm not going to disparage that. But they've had one spell in the Premier League before this. So we're looking at someone that played for them in that spell. Arnaud Danjuma would be a really nice fit. Now, he does predominantly, obviously, play on the left. But I think you can make it work. You move him on the left. I think Jaden Anthony off the right is probably the best option. He predominantly played on the left last year. I think you move Jaden Anthony on to the right and play Danjuma on the left. And I think that's the move. I think he's the best possible outcome. Because while he wasn't great for them when he was there, look at what he is now. So, you know, we're doing this in multiple ways because I'm making it up as I go along, folks. Uh, I, I would go for him. I would go for Danjuma. With Vieira, with York, it's what they did at the club, but also what they did across the course of their careers. With Danjuma, it's what he's doing across the course of his career, and he's he was really good in the championship for them. He's had a really good season at Villarreal. They're not going to get him back. He's likely going to go to West Ham this year, but I do think he's the type of player, or he is the player that they should have, or that they could do with right now. Um, Brentford, it's Christian Eriksen. He's the best player the club has ever had. It's as simple as that. Christian Eriksen is the best player that Brentford ever had. Uh, he is now officially a free agent. And um, my hope is that he will resign there. But he is the answer to this question. I'm going to cheat a little bit on Brighton. Because, to be totally honest, there's not a, a whole bunch of great options for Brighton. Again, they're a club that's only had this one spell in the Premier League. But the player that they need... See, there's, again, there's not, a, there's not exactly a laundry list of great players that have played for Brighton. The current crop is their best ever team by a substantial margin. You could probably make an argument that Lewis Dunk is the best player the club has ever had. Or... Not the best player, but the greatest player the club has ever had in terms of longevity and what he's done for them. But what they need is a number nine. They need someone that can lead the line, someone that can score them some goals, even if it's just someone that brings Trossard and Mope and those other kind of nine and a half slash wide players into the game a bit more. So I'm going to go for Bobby Zamora. Now, he didn't play for them in the Premier League. He played for them when they were in the third division and the second division and the first division. But what Bobby Zamora did when he was there was outstanding. 31 goals, 32 goals, 14 and 36 in his last year. But as they got better, as they went up the levels, he raised his game with them. And like I said, he started off with them in what's now the equivalent of League Two. And he was the biggest reason they reached the championship. So I'm going to go Bobby Zamora. Now, is he ideal? No. Is he going to score you a ton of goals? Probably not. Career best is 11 in 32 at the Premier League level. But if they had a number nine that could get them 11 goals and, say, 11 assists by creating opportunities for... Mope, Trossard, McAllister, Kozlowski, if he comes across, uh, Undev, that's what they need. That's what they need. They need that target man, that focal point in attack. It's one of the reasons I was suggesting Veghorst for them for 18 months. Someone that can lead the line, be a source of goals, but also help elevate Trossard and Mope, take some of the load off them in terms of that hold-up play, give them a bit more freedom, bring them into the open play a bit more. Bobby Zamora, when he was at his best, was a good player. He was a good player. Uh, you don't play in the Premier League for nine seasons, if actually ten seasons, if you're not. So I'm going to go Bobby Zamora. Chelsea, Ricardo Carvalho. 
They need central defenders, and Ricardo Carvalho is the best centre-back that club ever had. Ricardo Carvalho is one of the top three centre-backs the Premier League has ever seen. Now, I'm not counting current players. I'm not including Virgil in that. But my top three would be Carvalho, Stam, and Campbell in whatever order. And I'd throw Paul McGrath in there as well to round it a nice, strong top four. Uh, But Carvalho, as a 1v1 defender, as the leader of a defensive line, just absolutely world-class at his best. From Porto to Chelsea and on to Real Madrid, he was world-class. And he was the biggest reason that John Terry elevated to a level where people mistook him for a great centre-back. Ricardo Carvalho would solve so many problems for this Chelsea team. He can play in a three, he can play in a two. In the three, he could play right side or central. But ideally, you want him as the right side centre-back in a two. And if Chelsea had him, you could put him with anybody. And it's going to be a good pairing with anybody. He's that level, or he was that level in his peak years. So Ricardo Carvalho for Chelsea. For Crystal Palace, Ian Wright. Ian Wright. As a poacher. Because when you've got Olise and Eze and Zaha, you're going to create a ton of chances. What you really need is a poacher. Now, I think Odson Edward could be that player for them. But Ian Wright is one of the best finishers, one of the best goal scorers I've ever seen. And obviously he had quite a late start in the game. Uh, didn't turn pro, I think, until he was 22 but was really, really good for Palace and then obviously was incredible for the Arsenal when he went there. Now, remember as well, he was 28 going to Arsenal and he still went on to play seven years at the club. But Ian Wright for Palace was exceptional, starting off in the second division, which is now League One. Uh 23 goals in 46 games, 33 goals in 54 games. Into the top flight, 13 and 37, first year up. These are all competition numbers, obviously. Uh, Then 25 and 52 as he really found his feet. Five and eight to start the 91-92 season. Arsenal by him, and he's off to the races. 26 and 33. So that season... 31 goals in 41 games. Then he's 30 and 46, 35 and 53, 30 and 47, 23 and 40, 30 and 41. He is absolutely inevitable at this point. He is going to score at some point during a game. And then in his last season, when he's 35, he gets 11 in 20, 28. He's no longer first choice at this point, And he's still more than capable of scoring for fun. Goes to West Ham. 9 and 25. It's not a bad return for a 36-year-old. Um, then he has a loan at Nottingham Forest in the championship, 5 in 10 games. He goes to Scotland, to Celtic, scores 3 in 10 games. And then he goes to Burnley and scores 4 in 15 in what is now League One. Uh, and that's where he wrapped up his career. But Ian Wright was just Outstanding, absolutely outstanding. If you ever are bored and just want to watch a compilation of some of the best finishes you'll ever see, like as fans of English football, we kind of always look abroad at other players and think, you know, you'd love to have seen them in the Premier League. And Romario is one I always looked at. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing Ian Wright to Romario as an all-rounder. But there was the same type of natural instinct to score goals and desire to embarrass goalkeepers that Romario had, Ian Wright had. There is a, 
on the official Sky Sports YouTube account, there's Ian Wright's greatest Arsenal goals in the Premier League. There's also another video called Ian Wright's Satchmo best goals. Have a look at those. They're absolutely amazing, the goals that he scores. So Ian Wright in this Palace team with Elise, Eze and Zaha creating for him, I think he's easily 25 goals in the Premier League. Easily 25 goals in the Premier League because all he has to do is finish chances. Not going to be asked to do anything else. And that would be very fun in a 4-4-2 if you put Olise one wing, Eze the other, and Zaha just off right. I think that would be very, 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 very good. Moving on to Everton. I mean, they need everything, is the truth of it. They really do. They need help in midfield. They need help in defence. They now need a left winger. Things are not good for the Ev. I suppose the one to bring back would be a young Rooney. Like the Rooney that broke through. You bring him back, you play him as a number 10 behind Calvert-Lewin and you just build the team around him. Because, I mean, who else is it going to be? You're not Phil Jagielka, Alan Stubbs, Stephen Pienaar, Tim Cahill. I mean, are you really going to want any of them? Marouane Fellaini. I mean, Idrissa Gana Gay would actually be a really good fit back into this team if he was five years younger. But it's Rooney. It's Rooney. Rooney off Calvert-Lewin. Build the team from there. Put Gray one side and um, Gordon the other and just run with that as your front four. That's probably your move. Fulham. Again, a team that needs a fair bit. But funnily enough, I think the simple answer is just Joachim Anderson. I do think it's Joachim Anderson. Bring him back, slot him in next to Tosin. We know that pairing works. We've seen that pairing work. So that's what I'd do. I'd go Joachim Anderson. Now, Crystal Palace wouldn't be very happy. But Joachim Anderson, because again, with Fulham, you could say Louis Zaha or Louis Saha, but would Louis Saha with actually? Do you know what? I'm wrong. It's it's Edwin Van der Sar. It has to be Edwin Van der Sar, doesn't it? It just has to be. They need a goalkeeper. Edwin Van der Sar was world class. It's Edwin Van der Sar. He fills that need. He elevates the team. He alone will keep them up. Edwin Van der Sar is not getting relegated. So we'll go Edwin van der Sar. Uh, Leeds United. They don't need massive amounts. But they definitely need a few starters. And one of the positions they need a starter in is centre-back. Now, I'm at Jonathan Woodgate fan as a player, not as a manager, I think he's a poor manager, but as a player I think Jonathan Woodgate was an absolutely outstanding central defender who would have been a regular for England if it wasn't for the injuries. I will go to my grave convinced that Jonathan Woodgate and Ledley King, no it's not Rio Ferdinand Guy, it's Jonathan Woodgate, I'm picking the better defender here. Jonathan Woodgate, as a defender, was better was a better defender than Rio Ferdinand. He's a better defender than John Terry. He's just always injured. He's always injured. There's a reason when Real Madrid wanted a centre back, it was him they went for. This, they they don't go for scrubs. Woodgate, before the injuries, was absolutely immense. Dominant in the air, 
quick, good on the ball, really tough, could go out into the channel and defend guys 1v1, read the game really well. When those two were together at Leeds, he was holding Rio Ferdinand's hand and guiding him through games, despite being younger than Rio Ferdinand. Jonathan Woodgate and Ledley King would have been England's best pairing for a decade if it wasn't for injuries. So I'm taking Jonathan Woodgate for Leeds. Leicester City. I mean, a new manager is the biggest need, but we'll pass on that. Um, I'd love it to be Gary Lineker, even though he's kind of before the time period, obviously. But they have Vardy, they have Ianacho, they have Daka, they're fine. Guy said Kante, and I think it is Kante. I think it is N'Golo Kante. Imagine putting N'Golo Kante next to Wilfred Ndidi. Uh, you're not getting a whole lot of playmaking from them, but you're never, ever going to get a free run at that defence. They're just going to take the ball off you. So it's N'Golo Kante, who was unbelievable in that title-winning season. Absolutely unbelievable. He arrived over. Nobody really had paid much attention to him. He was just, you know, a £5 million signing from from France that, you know, was playing for for Cannes and been there a couple of years. And it was 24. No one really knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he turns into this absolute monster who just, rampages all around the league, just taking the ball off people, just flat out bullying people. Chelsea buy him a year later for 32 million. He goes on to be footballer of the year there, wins another league title. This is magnificent though. If you want to know why Arsenal Football Club have fallen into the rut they've fallen into. His first choice was to go to Arsenal. And they backed out of a deal for 32 million because the agent fees would have totaled more than 10 million. And instead, what they did was they signed Granite Jacket for 35 million. Now, Let's just say the agent fees on that were five million. So that whole deal, before we look at his salary and, and things that cost them 40 million. About two million less than it would have cost to get Kante. And I would bet that the fee that the wages Granite Jacka got from Arsenal when he, he signed were bigger than the wages Kante got when he signed. And I would bet the signing bonus was bigger. I would bet Arsenal paid more to buy Granit Xhaka than Chelsea did to buy N'Golo Kante. Now, Kante has obviously gotten contract extension since, and his wages now will be much higher than Xhaka. But, I mean, they're not even comparable. If you're looking to sign N'Golo Kante and you end up with Granit Xhaka, you've gone wrong somewhere. Not, not the slight jacket as a player. You know my thoughts on jacket, but I'm talking about the profile. You're talking about one of the most mobile, if not the most mobile midfielders in the world versus a fellow that runs like he's wearing concrete wellies. So I don't really know what was going on at uh, Arsenal at the point, but what a mess. Uh, Liverpool, Steven Gerrard. I'd love Suarez back. Don't get me wrong. I'd love Suarez back. Suarez would be sensational under Klopp, but Liverpool's biggest need is that right side of midfield. Steven Gerrard is the answer. He would be ridiculous in that role. Uh, Manchester City, most of their best ever players have played for them, obviously, over the last 10 years. But if we look at this City team... And there's not a whole lot that they need. I, I wouldn't be a big Ederson fan, but I'm not a big Joe Hart fan either. 
And City aren't a team that have had really great goalkeepers over the years. I mean, Peter Schmeichel was there at the end of his career. Um, not a big Kyle Walker fan, but I mean, I'm not going to use my pick on Zabaleta. I still think the biggest thing they need is a wide player. If they're going to go 4 2 3 1, Rodri, Bernardo, KDB is the 10. I'd play Foden wide on the right and bring back Leroy Sane. Leroy Sane and Canseo down that side would be terrifying. Sane will hold the whip and Canseo can cut inside. Uh, Leroy Sane. Manchester United, the answer is Roy Keane. Not only as a player, but they also need a leader. They also need someone to just drag, go and drag those players out onto the training ground and kick them up and down the place because they're all far too entitled and the atmosphere at the club appears to be completely toxic. Now, Ten Hag will do his best to change that. I just don't know if it's possible. Uh, for Newcastle, I would say they need another centre-back. They need a holding midfielder. I don't really feel like picking David Batty. Um, I don't really think they need a striker, but they seem to think they need a striker. So, I mean, Alan Shearer would be kind of the obvious one then. Um I don't know how Shearer and St. Maximum would get on. I really don't see that as being uh, a pairing that would be... I don't think it would work. Uh, let's just say that. I, I really don't think it would work. Funnily enough, the answer here is probably Jonathan Woodgate as well. Put Woodgate next to Botman. Woodgate and Botman, you can build something great off. Heaney had the one year there, then went to Real Madrid, where he was just injured for the entire time he was there. Um, it's such a shame. Such a shame what happened to him. Because he was brilliant at Leeds. But from... I mean, you look at his career... He only played over 30 games in the league three times. 99-2000 for Leeds when they finished third, and he was brilliant. That was before they signed Rio as well. Him and Radaby played centre-back. He was absolutely brilliant. Um... Then for Middlesbrough in 06-07, Burr finished 12th. It wasn't a particularly good Burr team. Uh, they were managed by Gareth Southgate at the time. Um, and then he played, somehow magically got fit when he was at Spurs in 08-09 and played 34 games for them. Um and Spurs were pretty good that year, actually. They finished eighth, but it was the, the season that Juan de Ramos got sacked. And once he got sacked and, and Redknapp came in, Spurs turned things around. I'll go Jonathan Woodgate, because I think I do think a centre-back's a bigger need for them than a striker. And I, I'll, there's no question Alan Shearer is the best player they've had, but I'll go Woodgate again. Uh, to force home the agenda. Uh, Nottingham Forest. Well, I mean, Stan Collymore would be spectacular in this team. If you put Collymore as a nine with Brennan Johnson and a one E either side or Collymore and a one E up front with Johnson in behind them, that would be ridiculous. There would be no... There'd only be a couple of teams that could cope with that type of physicality up front, but Collymore also had this incredible ability on the ball. Collymore should have been the best striker that Villa ever had. 
ever, not just Premier League era, but ever. And in terms of talent, he should have been right up there at the best Liverpool ever had as well. Collymore in the modern game as a false nine would be obscene, absolutely obscene. He could play back to goal, but he could drop deep and play in midfield as well. He could carry the ball, beat players with ease, could shoot off either foot from 35 yards, could bury them in the top corner, could curl them to the top corner. Absolutely sensational. Stan Collymore is the one for Nottingham Forest. Right, Southampton next. I think the obvious one is Sadio Mane, to be totally honest. I think the biggest need they have in terms of their starting 11, you could, there's definitely a need for a striker, obviously, but that line behind the strikers, those two attacking midfielders slash wingers, Sadio Mane is absolutely perfect for that role. He could play in the front two either, so he fills that if you need him to. But if you get Sadio at his best, which is, say, circa 2017 to 2020, but he's one of the 10 best players in the world, put that player into the Southampton team and they'd be, you know, middle of the top half for certain. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, desperately in need of a centre-back, Ledley King. Just such an underrated player. And as with Woodgate, horribly unfortunate with injuries. But when Ledley King played, he was an absolute Rolls-Royce. He was an absolutely outstanding centre-back. But from, well, from early on, there was injury problems. He misses six, his first full season is 0102, um, and he misses six games, but that's not too bad. He played the previous season, he played 23 games in all competitions, but he was kind of in and out at that point. Um, 0203 misses 13 games, barely plays in the cup, doesn't play in the cups really. Uh, 0304 plays 35 games in all competitions, 29 in the league. 0405 is the only season he plays all 38 games. The only season he stays fully fit the whole way. But then after that, it's 26 games, 21, 4, 24, 26, and 21. He is just cursed by injuries through his peak years. He was unbelievably good. Quick, strong, good in the air, good on the ball, great 1v1, could play in holding midfield if you needed him to, read the game perfectly, just an absolutely perfect centre-back bar the physical side. Chronic knee problems, there was no effective treatment for them. He didn't train. He used to do fitness exercises in the gym with a, a physio, and then he'd just play on the weekend. Very similar to Paul McGrath. Very, very similar to Paul McGrath in terms of the injuries he had, and yet, you know, without training, was able to go out and just be one of the best defenders in the league year after year. And the difference he made to that Spurs team was incredible. Um, he had to retire at 32. He still had probably had four or five years left in him. Otherwise, you know, just a great, great defender. And um, in terms of English Premier League defenders, I'd put Adams above him and Campbell above him, and that'd be it. Now, obviously, Ferdinand and Terry had better careers than him. I'm talking about their ability and their the level that they were able to perform at. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a shame in a way that Saul Campbell left Spurs to go to Arsenal on a Bosman because there's a world in which Spurs have Campbell and King for half a decade together. Campbell was 27 when he left Tottenham. Uh, Ledley was 21. They could have played together five, six, seven years. Ledley would have extended Campbell's career without question. Campbell still played in the Premier League until 2009 with Portsmouth. And for his first two seasons there, he was very good. The third year, you could start to see the slip. But if they could have had the two of them together for seven years, we might have seen Spurs 
do some things because that's a hell of a base they could have built off. Um, yeah, so Ledley King for Spurs. West Ham. I mean, Jermaine Defoe would help because they could do with a striker. Frank Lampard, obviously. But I think Michael Carrick, because I think the biggest thing they need is another central midfielder. I think Carrick and Rice would be a lot of fun. Carrick could play with Suchek. Um, you could play the three of them together if you needed. So I'll say Michael Carrick, who for me is the most underrated midfielder of the Premier underrated English midfielder of the Premier League era. Doesn't get nearly enough recognition for how good he was for West Ham, for Tottenham and for United. Was a deep-lying playmaker, I suppose, in his early career, developed into an outstanding holding midfielder who didn't need to have pace, just read the game so well, was always a step ahead and could dictate play slotted in at centre-back and looked like he could have played there, you know, in his slippers with a cigar hanging out of his mouth. Uh, Michael Carrick was a very, very, very good player that not enough people talk about for the quality that he brought to all three teams that he uh, represented for a a long, long career. Like, you think of Michael Carrick, didn't retire until 2018, he broke into the West Ham first team in like 99-2000. Oh, 2000-2001 was his first full season in the team. He'd had um, the previous season he played for West Ham. He played on loan a couple of times. But it's so consistent from 2000 all the way through to, I would say, 13-14 was his last good year. After that, he was clearly past his best and struggling in a, in a struggling team, but still vital like still vital to United teams that had success. Um, 15-16, he played 42 games. 16-17, he played 38 games. In those seasons, United won an FA Cup, a League Cup, and a Europa League. He won five league titles at United with that one FA Cup, uh, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the World Club Cup. Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous player. Um, yeah, Michael Carrick for West Ham. And for Wolves, Diogo Jota. Because Wolves need a goal scorer. And they never gave him a run as their nine. And I think if you put him in that team with Neves and Moutinho in midfield and say Neto and Pedence either side of him, with the sheer amount of creativity that'd be in that team, and the service he'd also get from Semedo and Aitnuri as wingbacks, who are very good at cutbacks into the box, I think Jota would score a ton of goals for, for this Wolves team. So there we go. There's one player from each of their pasts for all 20 Premier League clubs, because that's what you wanted to hear today. Uh, we'll move on then to the news, but first we'll take a quick break. Right, welcome back. So Tottenham have announced the £60 million signing of Richarlison from Everton on a five-year contract. Um, I do like the fit. I don't like the fee. I think it's a drastic overpay for a £30 million footballer. But given Everton had paid the better part of £50 million for him, and he has gotten better since going there, they were going to want to, they were going to, want to profit, so they've made a bit of a profit. Um, good player, not a great player, but cover across all front three positions, can play instead of Kane, instead of Son, instead of Kulosevsky, could play with any combination of those uh, those three as well. So I do like the fit. Uh, he does fill a need, but I really hope that's not the centre-back budget that they've just spent. I really do hope it's not the centre-back budget that they've spent. Um. Speaking of Everton, they are in talks with Jesse Lingard over signing the former Manchester United midfielder whose contract ended yesterday. 
Lingard is believed to be wanting £150,000 a week. Jesse Lingard thinks he, he warrants £150,000 a week. This is the problem that Manchester United have had to deal with, is entitled players like him. Because he is bang average. He will be 30 in December. And in his entire career, you can point at one full season in which he looked like a good player and one loan spell at West Ham with no fans. The 17-18 season under Mourinho, he looked good. And then that loan spell. But aside from that, bang average the entire time. And he's wasted his career just sitting about at United as a squad player. And now he's almost 30 and he thinks he warrants massive money. Good luck. Uh, Also for Everton, Leeds and Burnley have dropped the threat of legal action against Burnley in the Premier League over the Toffees' finances. And I think Burnley have misjudged this. So Everton posted losses of £372 over three years, which is above the Premier League's allowance of £105 So they're they're £267 over the allowance. The figure also includes £170 of losses attributed to COVID-19, which can be written off, although the scale of those losses also cost price. There is... Zero chance they lost 170 million due to COVID-19. Zero. But they've been allowed to finagle their way around it. But even if we factor that in, there's still 97 million. 97 million over the allowance. And it appears like they're going to get away with it. Everton have always indicated they were confident because they had complied with financial rules and been working with the Premier League. They hadn't complied with the financial rules. They obliterated the allowance for losses, even factoring in their fictional figure for COVID losses. They still almost doubled the allowance. Like, Everton should be facing a points deduction for the season ahead. There's just no way around that. They should be facing a points deduction. But if you're wondering why they have to sell Richarlison and why the replacement could be Jesse Lingard, it's to pay back some of this money. Leeds and Burnley both wanted the club's accounts to be independently investigated, but after meeting with the Premier League, they were advised that they'd have complied with profit and sustainability rules. They clearly hadn't. They clearly hadn't complied with profit and sustainability rules. No other club posted losses anywhere close to that for COVID. Are we meant to believe that Everton are special? That they make so much more money from match day income, even though their accounts suggest it would take them about four years to make that type of money? Baffling. Absolutely baffling. The completion of the 60 million deal to sell Richarlison to Tottenham on June the 30th means that income can be included in last season's accounts and therefore help balance the books for the next three years. So they've been allowed to finagle their books moving forward. This wouldn't happen to a smaller club. It just wouldn't. They wouldn't be given this type of leeway. If this was Norwich or Burnley or Brighton or Brantford or Bournemouth or Southampton, they wouldn't get this type of leeway. Not a hope. It's quite shameful, really. The Premier League are working with Everton to help them break the rules. Um, Chelsea are to launch an external investigation into bullying claims. Chelsea's new owners have appointed an external review team to investigate allegations of bullying at the club. A New York Times article claimed conditions in one department led to a toxic workplace culture. It said former employee Richard Bignall took his own life in January with the coroner's report linking it to despair following the loss of his job. Chelsea will now investigate the allegations that have been made under previous ownership. In a statement, the club's board, who took over last month, added, 
The club's new board believes strongly in a workplace environment and corporate culture that empowers its employees and ensures they feel safe, included, valued and trusted. Initial steps have been taken by the new owners to instill an environment consistent with our values. Bignall was described by the club as a much-loved and very popular and hugely respected member of the wider football and sports broadcasting family. The new board added, our heart goes out to Richard's entire family. His passing has been deeply felt by his colleagues at the club and across the football community. Upon learning of the circumstances, the new ownership has proactively reached out to Richard's family through their council. Uh, that is not a good look for Chelsea. But it did happen under the old owners. And there were other rumours and reports of different things that went on at Chelsea under the Abramovich watch, which you wouldn't necessarily find in normal workplaces. Um, Richard Bignall died in December. Sorry, in, in January, rather. He had been at Chelsea from July 2009 through to September of 2021. And he'd actually worked at the club since 2003. So 18 years of service to the club and 12 in a media kind of uh, consultancy role. Hmm. Not a good look for Chelsea. Uh, Manchester United hope to complete the £13 million signing of Terrell Malasia, uh, uh, having agreed to deal with Feyenoord. Uh, there's been some messing about with his representation. He's got the same agent as Frankie de Jong, uh, who is apparently you know, forcing this deal upon United. Uh, he now wants a family member involved to take care of his own sort of uh, details. Qatar World Cup to use semi-automated offside technology. FIFA has confirmed semi-automated state-of-the-art technology will be used at the World Cup in Qatar to speed up the time taken to reach offside decisions. In addition to a, center, to a sensor in the middle of the ball, which sends data 500 times a second to determine the exact kick point, 12 dedicated mini tracking cameras that are 100% synchronized will be mounted on, the roof, roof of each, uh, mounted on the roof of each stadium to track the ball and 29 points on each players, sending data 50 times per second to calculate their exact position on the pitch this is this is very similar to well it's a an advancement of the uh the sat nav technology um pierre luigi colina the greatest referee of all time now fifa's head of refereeing said we are very positive uh we being the fifa referees very positive about this it is ready um this can only be a good thing if it works so We'll wait and see if it works. That's all we can do. Wait and see if it works. Uh, good news yesterday. Amazon got the rights to some Champions League football. So more Ali McCoist on commentary. Uh, less Steve McManaman on commentary. So two wins there for all football fans with ears. Um, we'll do the gossip and we'll get done. Barcelona are ready to make an offer worth up to 60 million for Leeds winger Rafinha in a bid to beat Chelsea to the Brazil international signature. It appears like Arsenal well out of the mix now. Couldn't really afford to hang with the bigger boys because, you know, when you offer 20 million and then 35 million for a player that the club are very clear they want 60 million for, you're not really going to be in the mix. Uh, he clearly wants to go to Barca. My assumption is if they can force Frankie de Jong to United, they'll buy Rafinha rather than Lewandowski. Chelsea are progressing in talks to sign Matthias De Ligt, but Juventus wants his release clause to be activated. So they're not progressing at all. If Juventus are sticking to the £102 million clause, no progress has been made. Juventus are interested in Timo Werner being used as a make-weight, but the clubs are yet to agree on a fee. So Juventus are going to undervalue Timo and say he's worth 
25 million. So they want 77 million on Timo. And Chelsea are going to overvalue him and say he's worth 55 to 60 million and try and do 40 million on Timo or something ridiculous like that. Uh, PSG in France international, Presnel Kimbembe remains of interest to Chelsea. I'm not really sure why he's not particularly good. Manchester City will only sell Nathan Aki if they have a replacement lined up with the Netherlands defender being linked to Chelsea. He'd just be a strange signing for Chelsea um, because I, I do think they're going to look to move away from the back four, the back three to a back four. And Aki's only really a left back. Now, he'd be a good backup centre-back slash backup left back, but surely you just uh, you would just use Levi Colwell in that role. Tottenham are in advanced talks to sign Jed Spence from Middlesbrough. We've been hearing this for two weeks and nothing has progressed from it. Uh, Juventus want Liverpool and Brazil forward Roberto Firmino in a swap deal for Adrian Rabio. There's no reason Liverpool would do that. Uh, Liverpool do desperately need a midfielder, but Adrian Rabio is too much of a pain in the arse, so it won't be him. Um, Spain striker Alvaro Morata, who has been linked with Arsenal, will return to Atletico Madrid after Juventus decided not to sign him permanently. Unsurprising, he has not been very good for them. Uh, I don't know why anyone has spent big money on him over the last five, six years. He's good, but like he's 25, 30 million good, not 50, 60 million good. Arsenal have had a second bid for Lisandro Martinez rejected. Ajax want 43 million. Just bid the 43 million. Stop trying to save four and five million here and there. Pay the money. You're not going to get all the players you want anyway. He's someone you desperately need because your defensive depth is a mess and he would solve two problematic defensive positions for you. Back up left, centre back, back up left back. And he can play in holding midfield. So just get it done. West Ham have stepped up their efforts to sign Jesse Lingard, but they may need the former Manchester United forward to lower his wage demands. Interesting that the Guardian referred to him as a forward. He's quite clearly a midfield player. Uh, Wolves have won the battle to keep Ruben Neves with clubs reluctant to meet a 75 million asking price. I love Ruben Neves. I wouldn't pay 75 million for him in a fit. Uh, Leeds and England midfielder Calvin Phillips will complete his move to Manchester United after a medical which is taking place today. Manchester United have joined Newcastle in the battle to sign Benoit Badiashile. Newcastle are not looking to sign Benoit Badiashile because he is a left-footed left-side centre-back. And they already have two of them, one of whom is Sven Botman, who they only signed this week. Argentina goalkeeper Sergio Romero is interested in a return to Manchester United just one year after leaving the club in a spell in Serie A with Venetia. Um, he obviously, obviously misses the money that he gets for sitting on the bench at Old Trafford. Manchester United's Brazilian midfielder Andreas Pereira prefers a permanent move to Flamingo despite interest from Fulham and Crystal Palace. Um, I can understand why he would prefer that move, but being realistic, neither... Sorry, Flamengo aren't going to outbid either Fulham or Crystal Palace if they really want the player. Um, Nottingham Forest will make a bid for Huddersfield's 26-year-old English left-back, Harry Tofolo, who has one year left in his contract. Yeah, he's, he's decent. He's decent. Um, he's, he's solid, I would say. He had a good season this year for Huddersfield. Took him a bit of time to really find form for Huddersfield, though. I don't know about the step up to the Premier League. I really don't know. 27 in August. It might be a bit of a reach. Forest are also in talks with Manchester City to sign Burkino Faso international fullback Issa Kabore. Uh, is he also a left back? No, he's a right back. Interesting. Are they moving on from Nico Williams? He would make sense for City to sell given the running theme of their other sales this summer. 
Newcastle are set to sign England youth international left-back Jordan Hackett after he was released by Tottenham. That was a bit of a strange one that Tottenham released him because he is quite highly regarded. Um, so, yeah, a bit of an odd one. Bayern Munich have rejected a third bid from Barcelona for Robert Lewandowski. And Watford and France midfielder is close to move to Nantes. That's actually been confirmed today. Watford rid themselves of Moussa Sissoko, which is a, a good deal for Watford. And that's it. That is me for the week. I will see you Monday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.